give you time to turn there are passages from Psalm 133 again this week. Uh, That's on page 443 of your Pew Bible in the Old Testament. And if you would, please give attention to the reading of God's Word. A Song of Ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing, even life forevermore. And last Sunday we saw from this psalm the beauty, the goodness, the pleasantness of the diversity of God's people coming together in unity. And we saw that we should celebrate the unity we have as the church and strive to maintain that unity by God's grace. And last week we explored this first simile used to describe unity in verse 2, that unity is like the anointing oil poured on Aaron, the high priest, setting him apart for service to God. And so God's people, the church as a whole, are anointed by God, set apart to serve him as a kingdom of priests, which means that as we enjoy and experience and know God together, we display the goodness and pleasantness of God to those around us right here in Charleston and even to the ends of the earth. And this week, our purpose is the same. And after all, it's the same passage. To celebrate the unity we have and strive with all we have to maintain it. Uh, But we'll be celebrating this week from a little bit different perspective. We're going to explore this second simile that's found here in verse 3. The unity of God's people, the church, is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there in Zion, in Jerusalem, the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. And this morning with this second simile, we continue to see from this psalm really the remarkable kind of place that the church, that God's people, can be and is when its members are more and more united together in love, in affection, in concern, in encouragement of each other. And so this morning we'll see that the goodness and the pleasantness of the United Church is a refreshing presence, it yields a fruitful land, and it is a city of life. The United Church is a refreshing presence, a fruitful land, and a city of life. So first, the United Church is a refreshing presence. Just as we saw last week, David picturing the oil normally reserved for the priests pouring out on all God's people, here in a poetic way, David pictures the dew of Hermon, which was a northern mountain in Israel, pouring down on the centrally located city of Jerusalem and its surrounding hills. And just as the anointing oil of Aaron we saw last week was sweet, and refreshing. So the dew of Hermon that falls on Jerusalem is sweet and refreshing. It's, it's waking up on that cool, crisp morning in the mountains and breathing in that sweet, clean, fresh air that just invigorates you and, and fills your bones. So what if I asked you this morning, give me one word that comes to your mind when you think about the church. No doubt we would get a variety of answers, but I wonder if refreshing would be on that list. It would be for King David. 
And he shows us in the psalm that as God's people are more and more united together in unity, they become a source of sweet refreshment. And I hope and I trust that you, as you've been in the community here at Redeemer, that you have experienced that refreshing presence. Or if you're visiting with us this morning, that you've experienced it in your own church community. Or if this is your first time ever stepping foot in a church building, that at least you're getting a taste of it here this morning. That sweet refreshment of being with God's people. But you know, and I know, that from your experience, this doesn't always happen. Instead of sweet and clean and refreshing and invigorating, uh, the air can get hot and stuffy sometimes. Why is that? Well, sometimes the smoke from the fires of conflict, of proud disagreement, of quietly imputing motives to others, or general self-centeredness can, can cloud the air and make the church not so refreshing or invigorating, but, but tiring, draining. Maybe you've experienced that. But the more the church is united together in love, in humble agreements, and thinking of the best intentions in others, and thinking of their interests before your own, the more those fires are put out, and the church becomes all the more a sweet and refreshing place. So I just want to ask you this morning, if you're here this morning and you feel like the air that you've been breathing lately is hot and stuffy, if you are dry in the center of who you are, in your heart, as the Bible would put it, if you're weighed down by circumstances in your life, if you feel like you're just going through the motions of work and a family, if being involved in the church feels like one more thing to add to your list, to squeeze into your busy schedule, to tire you out. Or if you're here this morning and you're not connected to the church, or you have been in the past but you've moved away from it for whatever reason, the church may seem like the last place you would ever think or want to go for refreshment, for rest, for fulfillment. And it may be because there is smoke from fires of conflict in the church clouding the air. Sure, that happens. But it may be also because you haven't left your cabin. What do I mean by that? Well, when I was a kid, when I went to summer camp to a place uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, and I remember the old cabins we used to sleep in with the small windows with the plywood board on the peg to close it up and that hot, stuffy air and the sticky mattresses on those old wooden bunk beds. And when our hearts are dry and thick or we feel weighed down, by circumstances, going through the motions, a lot of times we naturally look to those fires. We look to other people around us, or we look to our circumstances as the cause. But I hope we'll see this morning that maybe there is that sweet, clean, refreshing air all around you, even streams of water, perhaps, of God's people around you. And you're stuck in the hot, stuffy air of your own little cabin of pride or stubbornness or, or hard-heartedness saying, I would be involved in this ministry, but I just don't think I'll I agree with how they do things. Or, I just don't think I'll fit in here. Or, I don't need the church. I can, I can manage on my own. Or, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Now, maybe that ministry does need to be planned better. Maybe that group needs to be more welcoming. There is smoke sometimes, but there is refreshment. And I hope we'll see that this morning as we move through the passage. 
I'll just ask you as we're, we're beginning here, maybe you haven't gotten out of your cabin lately or ever to taste and experience that refreshment. So I hope we get there together this morning and see that taking the time and expending the energy to be with God's people may actually make you feel less busy and less tired and invigorate you. And please don't hear me as saying, all right, now let's all go do everything all the time because that will tire you out. No, I'm talking about that one lunch, that one phone call or email, that that one community group uh, meeting, planning for your Saturday night to make sure you're able to be here at Sunday's meeting. Or maybe it's accepting that some of these hypocrites realize they're hypocrites and, they, and that you might be too and that maybe together we can help each other change. The more we seek out to, to sniff out not only the smoke from the fires but, but also to step out of our cabins, the more the church is united together and becomes that sweet, clean, refreshing presence like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion that invigorates us and strengthens us for our work and our life and our community. And as we do, as we do, the refreshing presence of unity among God's people naturally will yield a fruitful land. The waters of refreshment yield a fruitful land. So secondly, we'll see from our psalm that the unity of the church yields a fruitful land. And to see this more fully, if you'll go back with me just for a moment to Genesis chapter 12, near the beginning of the Bible's story. If you'd like to turn there, you can. You don't have to. 1,000 years before even this psalm, this ancient psalm was written, God reveals himself to a man named Abram, who at that time was living in the city of Ur in Mesopotamia. And God said to Abram, this is Genesis 12, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abram obeyed God. And he traveled west to the land that God showed him, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised Abram would belong to him and to his descendants. And he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot. And God did indeed bless Abram. Already in chapter 13, we read that Abram was rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And through Abram, God blessed his nephew Lot. Verse 5, Lot who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Their possessions were so great. They could not dwell together. And there was strife between Abram's livestock and Lot's livestock. You hear that same language of our psalm. They could not dwell together. The land could not support them. And so Abram and his nephew Lot are forced to separate at that time. They're forced to part ways. Several centuries after the time of Abraham, as you move forward in the Bible's story, the nation of Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt and entered into this same land that God promised to Abraham. And as he did with Abraham, God entered into a special covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And one of those blessings that God wanted Israel to enjoy was that of an abundantly fruitful land where they could dwell together, where the land would be able to support them. We've seen that from our series in Deuteronomy. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28. All of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. 
Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. When you come in and when you go out, may you be blessed. Fruitfulness for all the people. And God's intention for you, for Redeemer, here in Charleston, the people of God, descendants of Abraham, descendants of Israel, is for you to live in a fruitful land. In Deuteronomy, we've been looking at Israel's life in the land of Canaan, and we've been seeing how God can use you, can use us, the church, in this land that He has placed us. That land is now, with Christ coming, not just the land of Canaan, but the whole earth. And so for us, that corner of the earth is here in downtown Charleston, and also to other corners of the earth as we send people out to Uganda, to Cambodia, and others. And God desires that land to be fruitful in every place, able to support everyone, good and pleasing for all kinds of people. Just as last week we saw the sacred anointing oil of unity sets apart God's people for priestly service so that we, as we experience God together, that God would be displayed to those around us. Likewise, it's the refreshing presence of unity of God, God's people that then waters and brings fruit to the land in which He has placed us. And you know there are many, many dry and fruitless places, even here in Charleston, even here in this great city that no one wants to leave, except for us, I guess. But it's um, another story. There's dry and fruitless places here in Charleston and in the world. You know that. There are family situations. There are lifestyle choices. There are political and economic structures. There, and even here, there are horrific evils that bring barrenness to our land. It's not a land that's able to support all kinds of people. It's a land in which people are forced to separate, to part ways. What need, what opportunity there is for a refreshing presence to bring fruitfulness to this land, to see forgiveness where there was once bitterness and hatred, to see transformation and change in individuals' lives, to see plenty where there once was want, to see life where there once was death. And so as Redeemer continues to cultivate a desire and develop a vision to be a blessing in the land that God has placed us, remember that we can only hope to do so together. Unity is the water that brings that fruitfulness. But in our psalm, we see that unity in the church not only yields a fruitful land, but that unity in the church is also a city, a city of life. Verse 3, there in Mount Zion, in the city of Jerusalem, God commands the blessing, life forevermore. In that relationship that God established with Abraham, God promised Abraham a land. But God promised King David a city. And that city is front and center in this psalm. We see from our title that this psalm was included in a collection of 15 psalms. Psalms 120 through 134 called the Songs of Ascents. And and these songs were gathered together in a collection to be sung by the pilgrims as they journeyed to Jerusalem to worship and celebrate together at the annual feasts. And so this psalm has especially in mind the goodness and pleasantness of unity in the city. When pilgrims from all the tribes of Israel will come from the land and gather together in that central city in Jerusalem, in Mount Zion. 
And we learn from the New Testament that we as God's people, that you as God's people, the church here at Redeemer, are journeying to the worship and celebration in the heavenly Jerusalem. That the unity of God's people that took place then when this psalm was written in the earthly Mount Zion, the the earthly city of Jerusalem, was always only, only pointing to unity in the true Mount Zion, in the heavenly Jerusalem. You see that even here in this psalm. David's not celebrating so much the physical city with the the walls and the structures, but he's celebrating the, the, the people who are dwelling there together. And the Bible, in fact, even goes on to show that the church herself is that city. Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to Hebrews 12. You, the church, have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festival gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, to God and to Jesus. That's the church. Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the church. That's you. Mount Zion, the New Jerusalem. And so amazingly, when David writes in the psalm that there in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, God commands the blessing, and that blessing is life forevermore, he's saying that it's in the church, it's in the people of God, that life is found. I mean, this is remarkable. I mean, it, has to, it challenges everyone who's here this morning. How do you view the church? Do you think of the church as the place where true and lasting life is found? Many believers view the church as more of a volunteer organization rather than a city of life. As one spoke of many others turning in the wheel of your life, as one more activity that fills your spiritual side and gets you a little more well-rounded, I come and do my part come and just kind of get out of it what I need for the week. And if a problem comes up or something's not to your liking, no big deal. Instead of addressing, I can just hop over to this other congregation and not have to deal with that situation or that person again. There's no accountability. But how can you expect your life to grow and your life to flourish when you're not planted somewhere? Many others, maybe that's you here this morning, I don't know, think of the church as largely irrelevant. A place with an outdated message, with outdated morals, as narrow, intolerant, or judgmental. Or maybe it's something that's good and fine if you're into that sort of thing and you keep it to yourself. Or, could it be? Just ask you to think about it. Reflect on it. Could it be? The place where life is found. Life forevermore. Think about that. Reflect on it. And look, the church is not the place of life because of us. Because it's full of great people, or because we do good things, or because it's community for community's sake. You can get that anywhere. No, the church is the place of life because it's there that God commands the blessing The church is a place of life because it's in the church where God is speaking. 
It's in the church where the life of God's Word pours down from above and brings that refreshment and that fruitfulness. It's in the church that you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word that can challenge you in ways that you can't be challenged when you're on your own. It's in the church we have the singing of songs that proclaim the truth of God's Word powerfully to our hearts, I hope, that you can't get when you're not in community. It's in the church that we have the mutual encouragement of God's Word. It's in the church that we begin to apply the Word of God to real lives and real situations in small groups and in families. The church is the place where life is found, not because of us, but because that's where God's Word is. And only in God's Word can you find that life that can satisfy you, that can satisfy you intellectually. The Bible is is not a collection of stories with moral lessons, wise sayings. The Bible presents a grand and glorious picture of God's plan to restore the whole world. And yes, most of it remains a mystery to us, and it's difficult for us to understand or accept sometimes, but nowhere else in the world can you find a philosophy or a science or a school of thought that can unify all things in heaven and earth together. You can't. Only in God's Word can you find the life that can satisfy you and the desires of your heart. You know. Think of how you've gone to a thousand different places to try to find something that can fill that little void, and you just walk away unsatisfied and restless and, and, and where do I go? And you're resisting, but only in God's Word can you find that satisfaction that can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart because it's only in the depth and the riches of the Bible where God is that can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. And where God's Word is, where God is speaking, God Himself is there. We, the church, are not the city of life again because of us, but because God is speaking there and God is with us here. It's no accident. It's no coincidence. It's an editor's thoughtfulness and it's divine intention that Psalm 132 is placed right before 133. You can look there at the end of that psalm. Psalm 132 is all about this city that God promised David. Towards the end of this psalm, the Lord has chosen Zion. He's done what? Desired it for His dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I've desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. There's the fruitfulness. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. That's the church. That's you. That's the city of life. The Lord has desired you for His dwelling place, His resting place. The unity of God's people is good and pleasing because God Himself is good and pleasing. Earlier we were called to worship with Psalm 135.3. Again, place almost right next to this psalm. Praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing to His name for He is pleasant. The church is a place of refreshment because Jesus Himself is our rest and our refreshment. He's the living water of life who cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And He spoke of the Holy Spirit when He said, Whoever believes in Me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water to water the land and bring fruitfulness. And Jesus Himself is the dwelling place of God with man. 
He is God come in the flesh. As Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians, a book all about the unity of God's people. Ephesians 1 verse 10, God set forth Christ in the flesh as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the glorious plan. At the end of time that God is going to unite everything together in Him. Christianity is not primarily about your, your personal needs being met, although thankfully it does that. It's not primarily about uh, being happy, although it does that, and it should. Christianity's cosmic in its implications. If you thought about that, Christianity's cosmic in its implications. All things together are being united in Christ. His shed blood on the cross and His resurrection from the dead brings peace with God, brings peace with each other, and brings peace to the whole universe. It's cosmic. Later in Ephesians 1, God put all things under Christ's feet, gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You, the church, are the fullness of God. Ephesians 2, in Christ, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And how is God fulfilling this grand and glorious plan to unite all things in Christ? This gospel with cosmic implications through the church, through us. I mean, in whom the fullness of Christ dwells by His Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on in Ephesians to show that he fulfills that purpose for all things at the end of time as the church is more united together in love. As the church is unified And so this is why Paul goes on to pray this prayer from Ephesians 3. I'm going to pray it now and read it to you for us, but I encourage you to to make that part of your prayers this week from Ephesians 3. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? Again, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That means the fullness of the Spirit. That means the fullness of Christ. And you almost can't even say it. That means the fullness of God the Father dwelling in the church. And as we are filled with the fullness of God, the world will see that love. And one day, the whole earth, including Charleston, and even the entire universe will be filled with the fullness of God. And thankfully, the Bible doesn't just give us this grand and glorious vision of where we're headed, but it gives us practical steps of how to get there along the way. And that's what Paul goes on to in Ephesians 4. I'll just point out three ways this morning. Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3. We read this last week. Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? For there is one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. There's the cosmic implication. And so I just ask, how do you need to humble yourself this morning to help put out a fire? Or humble yourself to simply step out 
of your cabin and breathe in the air. That we would have the refreshing unity in this bond of peace. Secondly, in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So for the land in which God has placed us to be fruitful, we, we need to celebrate and encourage all the diverse gifts and personalities and callings and connections that God has given Redeemer and its members. So I asked this morning, what gift do you have that it's time to cultivate? What opportunity or person has God placed in your path right now? What ministry has He placed on your mind that you need to be intentionally praying for? Who is it that you need to recognize and encourage in His or her gifts? That we would have the good and pleasant unity in diversity that then yields a fruitful land. And third, in Ephesians 4, verse 14 and 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Our unity is in love and in truth. The truth of God's Word, the truth of the Gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So surround yourself with this truth. Individually, yes, but in community as well. Saturate yourself with this truth. That we would have the unity of the truth of the Gospel that would then overflow to those around us. Until we arrive at that city. Until that glorious plan is fulfilled. From Revelation again. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying. Behold the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And that's happening even now. And how good and pleasing it is and should be. And we should want it to be. And behold how good and pleasing he is. And He will forever will be. Redeemer gets to be a part of that too in this city. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this glorious plan to unite all things in Christ. Thank You for how we accomplished that by being, bringing peace with God, peace with each other, and peace in the whole universe. I pray that Redeemer would be a source of refreshment I pray that in doing so, we would be part of seeing a fruitful land grow up all around us that's welcoming to all kinds of people. And Lord, that Redeemer would be a city of life here in this city. Thank you that you give us this glorious vision, but you also give us the practical steps of how to get there. Even if it's just one, Lord, impress it on our hearts this morning as we leave this place. Unite us together. In Jesus' name, amen.